1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition. Over 125 years ago, the Columbian Exposition was staged in Chicago on Lake Michigan's shoreline. Visitors from around the country and world were first introduced to many industrial technologies and commercial offerings that would shape 20th century culture. This book explores a collection of event photographs and juxtaposes them against a set of modern images to catalog the living remnants in art and architecture around the city as a legacy to the 1893 World's Fair. 1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition, now available from Amazon. Audiobook version available soon. Hello and welcome to Party Line Chat. My name is Michael Finney. We're hanging out today. Uh, we've had to reschedule our uh, intended plans for today for the matchup with Shaw Wars, but that's all right. I want to introduce the other guys hanging out. Um, Tim Pastor, you want to introduce yourself? Talk a little bit. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Tim Pastor. Uh, some of you might know me maybe from Twitter. Um, I've been around in the Bitcoin community for a couple of years. Uh, some of you might know me from the, from the talking I do about peer-to-peer -peer identity and reputation systems. Um, which is a bit of a fake subject because it's not there's not really anything that has been adopted on a mass scale yet. But uh, that's where my main interest lies, um, like closest to what interests us all, I think. So hopefully that explains it a little bit, <laughs> just uh, a few lines. Tim? Other Tim? Yeah. Hey, other Tim here. Uh, Nisha here on Twitter, saying your name. Yeah, very good. So, you know, we're not going to talk about uh, security and stuff like that today. We'll save it for the future. But obviously, um, I think there is one topic on everybody's mind right now. And, um, you know, it's the price of peanuts at the circus. Uh, you guys are both based out of the U.S. I'm here in the U.S., uh, but I'd love to hear some perspective on what is what is uh, being shared informationally or what is being said as determined out in your countries. I guess, Tim, you're in Canada, so you're closest, nearest by. Maybe there's less information discrepancy between these two countries since since we are so close what do you think what is going on up there in terms of the election story up here it's kind of interesting um i guess everybody's just kind of uh watching in anticipation of what the results are going to kind of be like right right so the election results keep kind of coming in but they're very contested um, and that's been probably the story, at least for the last couple of days. Uh, and I think it's going to be the story for, if not the next couple of days, potentially the next couple of weeks. Um, what is the Canadian government saying as, you know, how, what is their perspective or their posture as it relates to the election or the outcome?
To be honest, um, I'm not too sure what their perspectives may be on it. I haven't been following a lot of it too closely. Um, a lot of everybody's just kind of been watching uh, the news, seeing a lot of discrepancies with the numbers and whatnot, and how they're doing all those recounts. Yeah, I think that's basically where we're where we're all at here as well. Um, obviously, like we've got three major um, cable news outlets channels, and they are kind of pushing to make announcements or give airtime about. Uh, announcements or whatever and so that's that's been kind of interesting because people per- perceive them as having a bias and um and i think it, in most cases they do um you know they've backed candidates or um been against candidates even back to the primary too so that's been i think a little tough when people hear official media or news telling them one such thing, but they're not necessarily involved with the decision-making process themselves. Yeah. It kind of brings in a lot of noise to all the uh, aspects of it. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very difficult thing for people to, to sort through every single day when you're hearing like conflicting information or just, uh, a lot of very kind of partisan reactive commentary. I mean, through the week, the president getting tweets blocked on Twitter, I think that was kind of a, a big story for a lot of people. Whether they liked it or didn't like it, they were still talking about it. It was still an active conversation that was going on. Yeah, what were your uh, thoughts on that, Tim? Um, well, from our side of the pond, it's kind of uh, like I'm in the Netherlands, for those who don't know, um, so I'm in Europe. And generally, Europeans lean a bit more to the left compared to Americans, I think. Um, so over here, like the difference between the two parties, like on the left, you have social democrats. And then on the right is what we call liberals. So like the conservatives that you have in the U.S. is like a step past what you know we call conservative or so to speak because we literally call them liberals mm-hmm. um if that makes sense it um, does so generally the few over here leans a bit more to the left so you also notice that in the media you know about how trump is always lying etc and like i'm no expert i'm no fact checker or whatever but you just notice the general uh tendency to uh what directions uh, what direction they lean Personally, I don't really care. Like, it's not my country. I don't live there. Um, of course, it has impact on geopolitics. Um, and so in the end, also on me. But that's, like, really down the road or so to speak. I'm not too worried about it. Um, I personally see it as it doesn't really matter whether you put somebody on the left or on the right in that seat. Because in the end, they're all backed by the same parties. You know, like the uh, Wall Street, Big Tech um you know it's always the same money basically behind it and personally i'm always more interested in uh, following the money and when you do that you always end up with the same parties 
So I, I wonder how much of a difference it's going to make. I'm just kind of sad to see how divided the U.S. is right now over something which I personally see as, you know, really trivial. I would prefer to just see people focus on uh, what they have in common. They can actually, you know, constructively work on solutions, um, work together on things, but that's probably, you know, the ideal or the perfect world even. We don't live in the perfect world. Um, so it's kind of sad to see how much people focus on the differences between us while well, we have so much in common. And yeah, especially with the economy in mind and everything with these lockdowns with COVID, um, I'm afraid that the sentiment is not going to get a lot better. And also don't see how it's going to get better if we just, you know, blame each other for whatever we believe in because it's so subjective it's as if we're arguing over vanilla ice cream versus chocolate ice cream and which one is the best um that's how i see it um so yeah well, all, all i'm hoping for is that it's not going to get out of hand and you know the, the country is not going to get too divided because i don't see how that could end up in any any good way hey what's up that's my uh, two cents Hey, you got your mic turned on? It was on. He popped in for a minute. Uh, at any rate, uh, maybe he'll turn his mic on in a minute. So what we're talking about right now is just kind of uh, hearing these guys' perspective, um, their international perspective on the U.S. election right now and where they think things might head. Obviously, everybody's kind of in the dark. I think equally. Um, and I think because it's such a close election, it really uh, implies like how difficult that choice is, how undefined these choices are, even though people, you know, are very passionate about Trump in different directions. There's such a huge percentage of the population that is uncertain about the differences between him and and uh, Joe Biden that there's no definitive clear outright blowout candidate in this election you know that everybody really leans towards and that's why it's so difficult to do these counts um, you know all the other stuff aside um, if you, you know, think that there are, uh, you know, nefarious things at play or whatever, uh, it still is probably the likely case that like most people are looking for a candidate that isn't really saying the things that they, they want to hear from a candidate right now. Um, certainly I don't think that like people are galvanized in the same way as they might have been for other candidates in the past, whether that's good or bad, but it definitely creates this difficult air of uncertainty while you are um, waiting for some actual information to, to be confirmed Last time I looked, there were still 
five states that didn't necessarily have an outcome for the presidential election to offer up. And they were in the high 90% of, of data reported. <coughs> Excuse me. Which uh, states are those? Uh, I'm trying to pull up some information here to take a look at it. Uh, let's see what it loads. Okay, so four, four states currently. Um, and Alaska not declared. Okay, so that's that's five. Um, so Arizona, you know, with 96% reported. Georgia, 99% reported. North Carolina, 97% recorded reported, excuse me, Pennsylvania, 97% reported, and Alaska, 58% reported, which is nuts to me. I mean, they've had days and days and days. Um, it seems odd, you know, that there's this minuscule number of votes that uh, still have to be counted to usher in a decision. And a lot of these other States are really close, you know, when you look at them, there's only really a couple of percent making a difference in a lot of places. And that's where it could get interesting. Um, like, again, I'm no expert on the topic, but if you think about Florida in 2000, what happened there, yeah. then if you've seen the reactions between left and right, you know, over this election, um, imagine if something would happen in the courts, which would overturn this, you know, in favor of Trump. I think a lot of people would get really mad, basically. Yeah, I agree with um, you. And and well, you know, and then... already declared him a winner. Right. And, and I don't know if that's fair or not. I don't know if that's the right call or not. I'm just saying that in, in a scenario, which is probably very unlikely, um, but it could happen. You know, like George Bush also didn't have. A, um, the popular vote, right? Yeah, less votes than Gore, but because you know they stopped counting, I believe, right? Um, is why he won. So, I'm curious what's going to happen. Like, I've heard a lot of stories about irregularities, right? Um, I don't know what the truth is of that. If yeah, it goes to court and it turns out to be true, and some votes get thrown out, or so to speak, I'm not sure what the right term is for it, um, or how it works. If something like that could happen, I could imagine some chaos. And again, I just hope that uh, that it's not going to divide people any further because I don't see how that could help anybody. Yeah, I don't see how it helps either. Um, and I do want a legitimate decision to be made. I guess when you have such a small divide of people... Um, it's like, well, okay, maybe you just say like, maybe we didn't, we, maybe we need another whole election, you know, maybe you throw that out and you say, okay, we need another candidate or two candidates or something. Ideally, I don't have a good solution. I don't think that uh, anybody's going to be like super happy with the way things play out here. Um, half of half of all those voters are going to be unhappy with the outcome just just along the numbers that are out there provided that nothing was uh you know tampered with
it's going to be a interesting few months. Yeah, I don't want to wait a few months. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, there's also a scenario that if they can't come to a conclusion that uh, Pelosi ends up be- becoming president, or maybe at least temporarily, and again, that's a really small chance that that's going to happen. Right. Just saying it's a, it's a possible scenario. Or if they're in a deadlock and the House doesn't agree on a candidate, etc., then you do get to a point where they take the Speaker of the House, I believe. Yeah. Um, president. I think that, yeah, I think that's like if there's like X number of like fallback paths. Um, yeah. Maybe it would unite everybody because I think everybody hates Pelosi. <laughs> it could be a good thing. She has <laughs> a lower approval rating, right? Than, Wouldn't surprise me to be honest. I can't Trump. remember ever talking to anybody who likes her. Uh, I mean, I'm sure her district likes her. Um, Fair enough. It, wherever you know that she comes from originally, because she's. Um, I think she represents like San Francisco in California and, uh, you know, that's a very dense area, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a strong representation of what's happening elsewhere or in majority, but she is, I guess, through seniority and what other accomplishments she's kind of leading that party in the house if I'm getting it all correct I could be mixing it up sounds correct but um, yeah house our of political system uh, works a lot different yeah for sure I mean I've, I've kind of wondered like how would you reconcile having a prime minister that is elected uh, or selected by, you know, Congress in coordination with or in lieu of a president, you know? It seems difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure technically what difference it would make. Like right now it's already chosen by the formation of the cabinet. So it speaks. So generally, the the leader of the largest party becomes the prime minister. Doesn't necessarily have to be that way. But that's right. how it generally works. Um, I don't know if it would make a lot of difference because we are essentially already electing them that way because they're the um, because it's generally the leader of the biggest party that right. becomes the prime minister. Right, but uh, that doesn't necessarily happen that way here the biggest mm-hmm. party because like you guys will establish yeah. coalitions too. Yeah. To be able to select a prime minister. So that is kind of very different. There's a much more diverse party representation. And so those people have to actually come together and find a candidate that is approvable by by those people in general. Otherwise you throw it out and you vote again, no? Uh, well, they try to um, form a cabinet multiple times if it fails. So like Belgium, I believe uh, in Belgium, they one time didn't have, they weren't able to form a cabinet um, for 530 days or something like that. So mm-hmm. 
pretty much was no government um, that could approve new laws and such. So the country was kind of at a standstill. They had something similar in Spain for a year or something, I believe. I believe if you look at the economic numbers that um, entrepreneurs didn't really mind it because at least they knew that nothing was going to change. Um, but that was one of the arguments I heard for it. I'm also not an economist, so I probably <laughs> shouldn't be bringing that up. But uh, from that's what I've I've heard and read. Um, that was kind of interesting. But yeah, it, it's a whole different system over here. You have multiple parties. Those parties have to figure out what they agree on, what they don't agree on. And that way they come up with a plan for the next four years um, on how they're going to rule together, basically, because you have the cabinet and then you have the opposition. Then the cabinet needs to be more seats than the opposition because otherwise you can't really get anything through uh, parliament. So a lot of the, um, how do you say it? There are a lot of similarities, I think. We look at, you know, how it works in the U.S. Because you have the House and the Senate. We have something similar over here with the Parliament and the Senate. Um, the way you have to still find consensus somehow on how you're going to uh, um, rule over the next couple of years is probably a bit different. But there are some similarities. I'm not sure which system is better. Like, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. They're both experiments. They were both invented when people still rode with feathers. Um, <laughs> and, and in this day and age, it wouldn't surprise me if we do come up with something better eventually. But generally, you know, a lot of, you need a lot of chaos first. Things have to turn worse before they get better generally, so... Hopefully we can skip that part this time. But it does feel a little outdated. And I have to say it's even more like as an outsider looking at the U.S. with more than 300 million people represented by, you know, just a few people. What parts look outdated? Um... Well, just the fact that you can, that, that people still think that you can have one person to rule more than 300 million people, basically. Well, I don't know that there is one person. Um, no, that's true. And that's, that, that's kind of my point as well, that I don't think that the president has as much power as people generally like to make you believe. Like sure. um, before Trump became president, everybody was talking about, you know, how he was going to get the nuclear football and, you know, that, w that we would all die, etc. cetera. Um, but if I look at the policies in general, it's not that much different as uh, how it has been in the four years before him under Obama. Of course, there are differences, but I don't think they're that big, to be honest. Right. I mean, there's a, then there's a, there's a momentum that's already kind of in, in play in course for, mm -hmm. for presidents because the previous ones leave behind different issues or encounters, uh, you know, wars in the Middle East or the topic of Guantanamo Bay. There's right. lots of uh, themes that pass between 
different presidents, and I'm I would assume that happens for prime ministers as well. Um, yeah, I guess it's, yeah, it's always the fault of the predecessor. <laughs> it's never their fault, right? They're dealing with that way. They can kind of uh, say that it wasn't something they started, but they're trying their best with it, and so whether they do or don't, kind of doesn't matter because uh, it's already in play for whatever benefactors are, are downstream from it. Right. That's, that's why I was saying earlier that I would like if people would find some more consensus in the things they do agree on, like uh, the issue with ice at the borders with the kids in cages. Um, I think that's a good example here. Like most people probably agree. That's pretty horrendous, you know, to separate children from their parents and, um, you know, the way that people are treated over there, apart from what you think on migration and such, just, you know, purely the treatment of people. Um, but it's not something that just came up under Trump. It was already happening under Obama, maybe right. even before that under Bush. I don't know. Um, and the same thing with uh, drone attacks, um, wars in the Middle East, you name it. So, yeah kind of hard as one person to just you know step in and fix everything and of course they promise it but i don't think it's ever possible it's kind of funny that we keep trying it the same way and that people still believe it every four years like if we vote in this other person then everything's going to change but joe biden also voted to go to war with iraq to name one example right so it's it's basically um as if we keep getting some of the 20th century on us it's impossible to to get free of some of that legacy well i think as long as we're divided you know it's like divide and conquer right so as long as we're divided we're arguing about i don't know pretty trivial stuff most of the time um and i don't know if we're ever going to solve any of these issues as long as we don't start agreeing on that and don't let the media play us, you know, another people who have really clear um, incentives to divide people. What do you think is being used, uh, if anything, to divide Europe or uh, maybe even just particular nations over there? Because it's not as if Europe hasn't had its unrest and also had to deal with with covid in, in a handful of different ways um, different nations have have chosen to to approach that differently and and some nations have had um they've had they've reported larger numbers uh of fatalities and things like that associated with it so are those divided are, are those divisive issues for most of Europe? Um, from what I'm seeing around me, I think it's more divisive than people realize right now. Yeah. Um, because lockdowns and such they affect a lot more people harder and on a longer time frame than than most people see, I think. Um, so I think that's that's only gonna get visible over the next year or so when we really start to notice the, the economic effects of these policies. Um, I do I do have an opinion about it, but it's pretty 
long one to explain probably because it doesn't really agree with status quo. Well, I mean, um, you're not uh, you're not bound to any time constraints for that, so don't have to go to commercials yet. No, <laughs> we don't have any, um, any commercial breaks. All right, so how do I explain this in a, in a proper way? Because the thing is, like, I kind of agree with the crazy people, or so to speak, but on the other end, I try to base it, you know, all of science. So, for example, if I look at the the panic that we have right now around COVID. If I compare it to the numbers, and again, I'm no expert, I'm no doctor, I'm no scientist, so you probably shouldn't even be listening to me about this subject. Um, But if I look at how many people have died and you compare it to other years, it's basically a bad flu year. And when I'm saying that, I'm not saying it's just the flu because it isn't. It's much more serious than a regular flu. Um, You know, there are people with long-term effects uh it's more serious than the flu so to speak but if i look at the numbers the way we're acting right now i wonder if it's the right approach and to just you know open up a bit more and accepting that some people are going to die which sounds really harsh um and that's also why it's not happening because as a politician you can't sell that point because people are afraid you know, so they want solutions, they demand solutions. And that's what we're seeing right now with these lockdowns. But I, they're not based on science, as far as I know. So I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about the results, like net sum, if they're going to be positive, uh, because I highly doubt that. Because to name one example, like people who have cancer that could have been treated, you know, relatively well, uh, so if you have a sort of cancer where normally 80% would survive nowadays because of treatment and such, this year, because we're postponing treatments and everything, that number might drop to like 20%, 30%. And those are generally people who would have otherwise lived for maybe decades. But if you look at the, um, at the people who die from COVID, and I should actually say with COVID, because right. most of those people don't even die from COVID, but they die with it. Right. Um, those are mostly people over 70, 80, even 90. Um, so it's a really hard discussion to have because you don't have enough data right now to say anything useful about it. But if I'm just making my uneducated guess, looking at the data that we do have right now, I do honestly doubt if it's going to be positive and that's um, in the long term. Sure. I think those are, those are fair perspectives to, to have too, because there are a lot of people that have been, they've had their livelihood very much affected um, just because of the, the way that everyone has been made to, to move differently about their life. So, I'm not trying to value money over people's lives, obviously, but, uh, you know, outside of the immediate impact there, there are going to be longer term, midterm impacts that we have not yet quantified. And, um, I am, I'm interested in seeing how that goes as you have, uh, outlined as well, because, 
you know, you look at uh, different states here that have responded differently, or you look at different nations in Europe that have responded differently. And uh, I think there's enough variance in that data to start to say, okay, at least for this location, uh, that approach has worked or has not worked, you know, and maybe those, those approaches can be used elsewhere. Oh, Hey, all right. So, uh, want to actually say, Hey, uh, we've got, you change your Twitter handle, Brian. Yeah, you can call me Brian on here though. Yeah. Uh, to Mr. Baggy head. Hey, hey. And also Mark, Mark Wilcox is in here. As well today. Hey, how's it going? Invited hey, Brian, Mark. Invited him over. Do you want? Do you want to say hello, Mark? Test your mic. Uh, yep. Hello. Hey there. How are you doing? How's it going? Um, now good. that you guys are here and you're hanging out, uh, you know we're kind of talking election. We're talking a little bit of data analysis. One we're day talking... I missed the first hour. Yeah. Politics, of course. Yeah. Real nice, bud. Um. <laughs> So, uh, let me tag you guys. Feel free to jump in wherever if you've been listening or if you haven't. And, um, you know, we'll make I the best of it. I actually haven't heard anything you guys have said so far. Okay. Well, I'm, I've been driving. Uh, all right. Well, in that case, we've talked a little bit about the discrepancies that we're seeing and the uncertainty that is breeding. And, um, these guys, you know, uh, luckily for us, now we've got even someone from another country. So uh, Tim, Inertia here, our regular Tim, he's from Canada, so he gave us some perspective. Tim Pastor is over in the Netherlands joining us. Uh, so they're laughing. Right. And then, uh, Mark, you're you're down in New Zealand. If you want to give a little bit, we could round back around to that initial part and... Uh, if you want to give us some perspective on the outlook on the U.S. election from New Zealand, that's valuable too. Hmm. Um, I think generally we are kind of like this is sort of the most American of any American elections. They always have some drama, and Americans are always sort of crazy and not understandable to us. So. Um, Is that would that's how I'd summarize it. Like no one's really talking about it down here. It's just like, oh yeah, those crazy Americans are still crazy. This seems like a Coke and McDonald's election. Yeah. I'll say like uh since since two thousand, uh if the camp if the election itself wasn't crazy uh the campaigns are crazy um i, I think uh the second obama campaign i forget who to get ready against mitt romney that might be the most like forgettable campaign election of all time but uh you know when uh obama ran against mccain we had the whole palin stuff and the tea party stuff so it was very entertaining um as long as it's entertaining i'm okay um but i will say uh you know, to, just if we're going to talk about the election, um, 
I don't have any thoughts really about like how to improve election transparency. Uh, I, I don't think necessarily like blockchain is the answer to that. Um, I, I just don't. I, I have a hard time bridging blockchain to the physical world. Like in my head, maybe somebody can send me a white paper. I don't know. Um, but uh, the, I think uh, I think it's going to go to the courts. Um, and I think uh, all I will. I mean, to keep it kind of plain, I'll say like uh, I, I remember Al Gore and George Bush pretty well. I was old enough to remember. Um, and, I mean, I was old enough to remember and like understand what was going on and stuff. I was, you know, you know out of high school. But uh, this time around, I think uh, a lot of people are saying that you know Al Gore got thirty days, and that's thirty-five days or whatever, and that's true. And um, you know, uh, the press can ignore uh, reasons to go to court all they want. That's fine. I, I don't think anybody's talking about. Uh, SCOTUS uh, telling PA to get ready, basically. Um, but eventually, like, all, I, my argument is, is that they contested, they meaning the Democrats, uh, contested the 2016 election for, like, three years. Um, and I mean, I don't mean that, like, in a joking way where, you know, they just, like, you know, they've refused to accept it. And that's kind of like a meme that the right uses against the left now. Right. Um, I mean it more like uh, they actually spent, you know, 70 something million dollars or 40 million dollars or whatever, 200 million dollars. Who knows? Who cares? Um, and three years using the Department of Justice uh, to actually investigate. So um, Trump obviously can't take three years, um, but uh, he's he's due. And I just think like. I don't know. The, the two weird things that I see are like, I didn't think they'd be making lists, lists this soon. Um, and if you if you start to look at things that are not involving uh, the president, the presidential election, uh, the Dems got housed. Uh, and twenty twenty two looks really bad for them. Uh, and. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be uh, making lists before there's an even certification uh, by a single secretary of state um, is just very like um, it's 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 just pure iconic Democrat at this point. Like the 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 pundits of like some Democrats are fine, obviously. Like you know what I mean. Like some Republicans are fine, some Democrats are fine, but the pundits are getting really obnoxious and the. Um, the leaders of the Democrat Party and the pundits that kind of like push that message, uh, making lists on the weekend after the election, saying things like there should be no survivors. Um, that's that's a bad look. And I think it's going to backfire because everything that they've done backfires. So. That's my take on it. Yeah, I don't think that. Uh, that was a, a point that I tried to make earlier. I don't think that the outcome is uh, set in stone here because we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and for people to to get overly excited about, uh, you know, premature celebration that... They just want their Netflix and their box wine 
and their and their and their uh, you know Nepalese handmade cat bed, so they can take pictures of their cats on Instagram, and sh- and, and auto share those Instagram pics to Facebook. Like that's all they want. They just want to be able to like take take pictures for Instagram of their favorite brand or uh, intellectual property that they purchase and consume, and then add an animal and then some tacos and some wine. And they want to put it on Instagram and auto share that to Facebook um, for the rest of their lives. Like they, um, the the. The, like it's just funny how quick um it it's like they think that it's like uh, a lot of people and I'm talking about the people who are like dancing in the streets and who are like crying like Van Jones who I think was uh I think he was acting more so than uh genuinely crying but this um whole the 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 loudest part of the democrat the Democrat Party that aren't the left, that aren't like Antifa, they're not like hardcore leftists or whatever. The loudest voices of those parties are just like the cat moms, and like and like their, you know, boyfriends. Like they just um, they just want to go back to normal so badly, and uh, the idea that there's any kind of normal to go back to after this is just ludicrous. And they're gonna even if Biden wins and Trump leaves office, um probably in some hilarious fashion like i even even if trump loses it's going to be an amazingly entertaining loss um and then biden's going to like like to like he's used he already has picked dick cheney like to help him with his foreign <laughs> policy it's it's so mind blowing because my friends i have friends that we sat together and like criticized people like Colin Powell and and Dick Cheney and Bob Mueller uh, for for sending American kids into into Iraq for literally you know no justifiable no no legal reason well I only um, contracts maybe <laughs> well I mean yeah but no like yeah no, I know, I'd, I'd rather them just say that yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, guys, we need to, you know, stabilize this region by force. Let's go get that fucking oil. Yeah. <laughs> or, or not, not just know what you're getting into, not, then. Yeah, we have a sneaking suspicion that this person that we put in charge 20 years ago or 40 years ago, whatever, uh, he he's not putting the oil where we want it. Um, so we're going to just forcibly handle this situation. Like, I think, honestly, back in, like, 2000, even before, like, 9-11, I think American would have been like, all right. Cool. Yeah, I think Trump kind of proves that that if you just tell people like, "Hey, let's go grab the fucking oil," you know, literally yes. make that your campaign slogan, <laughs> yes. that most yeah. of Americans or a good portion of Americans would agree. I don't think a lot of people understand. I think people on the right, I, I, actually, I don't know if people on the right understand this, I, but I know a lot of people on the left just are missing the plot. Where um, this actually, like, not giving Trump the chance to go to court and possibly be handed a fucking sorry uh handed a a ruling uh that goes against him cuz i think Kavanaugh's already ruled against him twice but whatever um he has a chance to lose and um not giving trump that chance and just kind of pushing this narrative like 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 you're laying down new new tarmac and you're just like you're just like forcing the narrative on it like with a with a roller um that just makes trump a martyr and like <laughs> You were going to get Trumpism either way. And Trumpism starts when Trump leaves. 
and you can get Trumpism now or you can get Trumpism in four years, but you're going to get it. And uh, if you force him out like this, um, and by force, I mean, like, don't give him just kind of like browbeat the public and don't give uh, the law the chance to kind of just work itself out. Because, like, you know, again, Gore got 30 days. The Democrats took three years. If you don't do that, he's a martyr. He's an instant martyr and he will go and he will start a media TV network. It will absolutely destroy uh, their competition um, to the point where, like, Comcast won't air it. Like, Comcast won't air the Trump TV network. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to be the resistance leader of everybody who gets, gets banned from Twitter. So pretty much. And then he'll hold rallies like, once a on month. He'll 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 tour the country holding rallies. This time you'll pay five dollars to get in, maybe ten dollars to get into the pit. Uh, he'll make mad money, and he will sit there and anoint uh, MAGA Congress people and local politicians in every state in the country. And in twenty twenty two, the Democrats are, gonna, are not going to know because they're still going to be like they're still going to be just gazing at their genitals and wondering about. Them. Because all they do is like look at their genitals and their skin color and like and gaze about it and just and just and just fantasize about like what it means and they wonder if they have the right genitals or the skin color and so when 2022 hits and Biden has troops somewhere that they don't belong um, or if he's still alive or Kamala has troops somewhere where they don't belong and you still have people of the squad saying like you know. Uh, same shit they've been saying for the last like four years um it's over like and i mean it's over on like a local level it's going to get crushed on school boards you're going to get like the last thing the democrats want is trump touring the country creating trumpism which will last a generation or two he dances like he dances Like, I don't know if there's another, like, you know, you got Justin Trudeau going dancing in India looking like, but most of the time when presidents dance, it's that asshole, I'm in Africa and I'm surrounded by a bunch of brown people, so I'm just going to shake my hands around and kick my feet out. Um, this guy, this guy creates, creates uh, borderline festivals at airports and dances. To, to YMCA, a gay anthem, as he walks, as the president of the United States dancing the YMCA. As he, as he that was pretty impressive. Why do you think he did that? Like, <clears throat> um, I saw uh, Joe Rogan with what's his name, Kyle Kalinsky from the top of my head. I'm not Kyle Kalinsky is the guy. Yeah, yeah. He was he was showing the video from like his his uh, what do you call it the ending. Did video. Kyle at least <laughs> laugh? Did Kyle at least laugh about it? Yeah, yeah, he seems to okay, be a good sport about it because he's critical about Democrats as well. I yeah, think. Yeah, he seems to be somewhat, somewhat of a normal person. Yeah, he yeah. he's able to think for himself, so to speak, instead of just repeat the party propaganda. Yeah. Um, that's what I appreciate about him, and the same about Joe Rogan. You know, he's you can look at him, you know, think he's a chimp, you know, just does fighting stuff and. <laughs> um, um. But he's, I, he's as close as you're going to get with an audience that big. Yeah, what I like is that he um, tries to get people on from both sides. But anyway, the the my point where I was going was that um, that that video. Um, if you compare it to that last video in his campaign from four years ago, it seemed like 
really well thought out, especially if you compare the two. The contrast was huge, <laughs> as you would say. It is huge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like, um, like he was we... really pointing out the the, the issues. Sorry to interrupt you. That just you finish. Um, yeah, finish. Um, like. I, I, in that video from four years ago, he was really explaining, you know, what's wrong with the system, how he was going to fix it. He discussed policy and everything. And now it was just YMCA and he's like jerking off in the air or something. I don't know what he was doing. It's it's, <laughs> it's almost like a, it's almost like a Cosby cross with like some kind of robot dance. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. What, um, what do you think he did that? Was he trying to lose, or did he no, want to go home? No, did I Melania think... push for that video, or what was going on there? Um, what video are you talking about specifically? That last one where he's just dancing to the YMCA song. Oh no! I think the Trump team understands that like um, uh, creating joy is better. You like, think so? Yeah, yeah. I think that if you're a Trump supporter. You love you love that. Like um, a lot of people don't understand that. Like um, like the baby Trump balloon. Like Trump supporters don't care about that. They love that shit. Make make a baby Trump and fly it. That's hilarious. Like you look stupid making it. Like that's kind of like the mentality. Um, the ones that get angry about that kind of stuff are like they're like the fringe Trump supporters that they they just want like a a full. They like they like want to put Democrats against the wall or some shit. That's like nonsense. But um, most Trump supporters are just like. And I, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I can tell you from talking to them, and I'm, I'm, I'm one as well. Um, I never in my life thought I would watch a president give a speech and laugh and smile and, like, text a friend of mine and be like, are you watching this? And, um, and that's not even the dancing. Like, and that's because most of the time it's like a stand-up comedy show. You know, he gives his talking points about what he wants to do and what he has done and all that stuff. But in the in the in between, he, you know, he's he's going off he's going off the rails. He's giving jokes. He's making fun of uh, his opposition. Um, and uh, you know, p- making fun of your opposition is 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 the political thing. You know, um, uh, they had jokes in the eighteen hundreds and seventeen hundreds. You know, whatever. Um, and I'm sure even going back to, you know, the European systems of government, there's been times where, I mean, the you know, British Parliament, you guys joke at each other all the time. And as Americans, as Americans, we watch, um, you know, the, the UK Parliament and like these other European systems where they kind of have this like freewheeling dialogue um, in, in the House. And uh, we before Trump, we used to yearn for that because like we had these stiff people that got up and they're like, the distinguished gentleman from South Carolina is wrong about this. And here's some poster board stats. Like now, you know, it's all different now. Um, and uh, it's going to be, it's going to continue to be different. I think for American politics, I think you're going to see that like successful politicians are going to have to be, um, they're going to have to make you feel good, you know? Um, uh, I don't mean like feel good as in like we defeated Trump. I feel good about it. I mean like you watch that person speak and interact with people and he makes you feel good. Um, if you if you watch like, for example, um, everybody's upset on you know, everybody in the media is upset about Trump golfing for the last for the last two days. Um, his his fans love that he's golfing right now. 
Um, and then he went and got a picture taken with a bride or something like that uh, yesterday at his golf club. And like, like just Trump, Trump fans like like that stuff. While meanwhile, the press is just like, "What's he doing? That's not presidential. He shouldn't be golfing. He should be writing his concession speech." And like, um, yeah, no, no Trump supporter really wants him to do the normal thing. And so I think normal, like normal politicians, are going to go by the wayside. I think that's a good thing, you know. I don't know, uh, but I think that video to answer your question is literally like his campaign staff understands, and they have. Look, I mean, the reason he won, or a large part of the reason he won, one of the reasons he he was victorious in 2016 was that the campaign was fun. It was fun for people on the internet. It was fun, like it was the meme war. It was fun, and. Uh, he kind of continued that throughout his you know whole four years you know when the press would give him grief he'd give him grief right back and like you know half the country's like how dare you talk to a journalist that way it's, it's like what? <laughs> you know what i mean it's like what are you talking about and uh you know when he told leslie stall you know leslie stall is like you know here's a fact and he's like i don't think that's a fact and she's like i told you it's a fact he's like what does that mean you know and it, that's Yes, like his all all Trump supporters, regardless of if they're like hard right or like centrist or they were independent or they left the Democratic Party, all Trump supporters like that stuff where he just um, he acts like a normal dude getting interviewed. You know what I mean? He like, treats the press normally. If you ask him some question, that's clearly like an arrow. You know what I mean? You're clearly trying to knife him one. Uh, he's going to be like, what a, what a, what a shitty way to ask that question. He's just going to tell you straight up. Like, that's a horrible way to ask that question. Now he did that a couple of times when they were like going over the COVID deaths and things like that. Um, so yeah. Um, I think, um, the, I think it's interesting that some countries have, have not, you know, have not jumped on board. Like the president of Mexico said it was too early to, congratulate biden i think the other day um so yeah i don't know uh it, either way it's bad for the dems you know what i mean like um i think the the worst case the worst it's funny because the worst case scenario is that the trump supporters don't get to see their 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 person kind of just being funny in the white house it was like a sitcom for a while with good results for the country you know like uh domestically you know civil issues notwithstanding uh, you know, economically and foreign policy, foreign policy was great, you know, so definitely the most entertaining president. It was an amazing show, you know, so, and imagine, imagine what he would have done if he wasn't just constantly just like, I don't want to say under attack, but like under attack from like a pretty aggressively hostile, you know, uh, news, uh, a handful of corporations that, that realized they made money by being hostile. You know what I mean? Like, right. they weren't even hostile for uh, an organic sake. You know, like uh, they just realized it was it was profitable. So, I don't know. I think also I think the polls are done. You know, I think um, you know Frank Luntz said you know if their polls are off this year, they all need to look for jobs. I think he should do that. I think they should all do that. <laughs> um, I think that's just. Like you're either complicit in some kind of scam or you're just bad at your job. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't understand. 
I mean, well, Mark Al- Mark Alpert's working for uh, for Newsmax now, so apparently you can you can be bad at your job and still get jobs. Um, but yeah, I think the media, like, I don't know, like, uh, the shitty the shitty thing is, is that a lot of people that that are anti-Trump, like, they look at these people look at like news media like the same way they look at like celebrities, like movie stars. Like, um, I was, I saw, uh, this really cringy, uh, you know, Leslie, uh, the, the girl from the woman from Ghostbusters or whatever, uh, the black lady from Ghostbusters, Leslie something. Um, she was like, you know, you know, just showing the TV on one night and like spitting venom, venom at Mitch McConnell and how he's like not even human and he's evil. Um, but then she like, literally, if you scroll down her timeline, she's got a video like where, or, or some tweets where she's like um, just praising uh, the guy who does the maps on MSNBC, like Steve Kornacki. And it's almost like it's almost like she's she's enthralled by his celebrity and like she's a celebrity. And she, you know, so I think like, you know, the idea that like. That these need these news medias are these media talking heads are as important as they they are now is kind of a problem. I think, I think we need another, I think we need more news networks to kind of balance that out, I guess. I don't know what the solution is to the, to the shitty journalism. I really don't. I don't think anybody does. Well, so, um, in terms of like, what is journalism? What is reporting? What is coverage? What is entertainment product? That line is. I guess real... I shouldn't call that. I guess I shouldn't call them journalists. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that what we're watching on Fox, CNN, or MSNBC is journalism. I think we're watching political entertainment product, and like when you are aware of that, then you realize that this is all kind of connected with advertising. And so long as those advertisers and uh, the mechanisms that serve advertisers are in control of the casino in everybody's head, you're going to lose. The problem is, is that so many people that have read manufacturing consent uh, think that think that these election calls are legitimate. You know what I mean? Like uh, the idea that the news, even when it was like a print, a print industry, um, is is driven by truth is just absurd, and uh, you know it's really it's provable too. You know. So like yeah they're definitely definitely a journalist but the problem is is that like you know if I go talk to somebody if I go you know go to my you know, friend of my one of my friends' house tonight and we talk about the election like they're gonna call um, Rachel Maddow a journalist you know what I mean sure so and that kind of, the kind of authority that gets bestowed on them I like the term pundit I guess I think it works I mean. It does work. It does work. But that's also been my point over the past couple of years. Like, I'm always talking about reputation systems. My point has always been that if it's centralized, that whatever you think of something or somebody, it's always subjective. Um, So as long as you have one party curating the information stream for you, it's always going to suck, even if they try really hard to make it relevant for you. Because in the end, you always know better what you want to see or hear, you know, like with the news, like what's your definition of a journalist that might differ with somebody else's definition. And that's why I think, sorry for plugging this, but that's 
like I have pretty strong opinion on this one. So that's why I figured, uh, you know, it's relevant here in this context. Um, then we need better systems there to curate our own information feeds and to decide what, what enters our information stream. Because over the past 20 years, we kind of ditched the whole stranger danger concept. Um, you know, everybody can just come barging in into your network and start screaming and they're just there, you know, can get spammed to death, basically. Um, so, so what are you guys thoughts on that, especially now that big tech social media was really anti-Trump, they didn't even hide it. Um, what do you guys think that's going to happen now that Biden, like, let's assume Biden is going to be president? Um, um, from... How do you think he will work for or against big tech and especially social media? I think him specifically, he's going to do nothing about it. Um, it really bothers me that there's that amount of bias in these networks. Um, and, you know, I'm not a supporter of either of these two candidates, so it doesn't really matter to me uh, about them so much as like, crowding out the other more subtle and nuanced conversations about political issues and social issues that we faced as opposed to allowing everything to be like pro Trump or anti Trump. Like that's not even the conversation that I want to have. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with either of those two candidates if they're actually discussing like much broader and more important and, a, and uh, imperative kind of issues at hand to me. So do I think the networks are, are uh, to blame about that? Yeah, to some degree, I think they are. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I excuse their bias because I know that that's going to happen anyway. So then it kind of comes down to the people that are listening to that. Uh, are most people going to want to curate feeds for information integrity? I don't know. Probably not. Definitely not. Uh, people just want to hear things that make them think they're right. Myself included, like everybody. Um, as far as to answer your question, uh, I, I don't think much gets done. You know, if it ends up being Biden with, uh, you know, uh, a, a GOP Senate and um, an even stronger GOP House than before, uh, I, I think we got two years of literally nothing being done in Congress. So, like, Text is going to get, I guess, more powerful. Um, the only hope, I guess, is that we see, um, you know, one thing about the list making, it would be something like, you know, uh, you know, Josh Hawley is like, hey, these, these people are making lists and Twitter's uh, acting on the list. You know what I mean? Twitter's allowing doxing of, of Trump fundraisers or Good. people who paid for it. Things could, like that. could you explain to me real quick because I've seen it come by on Twitter, but I've tried to avoid Twitter a lot over the past couple of days. Um, so, could you explain about what's going on with those lists? It's like hit lists. Um, it's just um, well, it's no big deal really when dark. it was. Uh, so, it's been a couple. I mean, I'll tell you who the important people are. Um, so, like the one lady who went on TV, I think yesterday morning or whatever. She is a, I believe, a Washington Post columnist, but it's not the Washington Post. It's another major, you know, newspaper. Um, and she said something like, you know, we need to ensure that, you know, there are no survivors of like the Trump movement, that they can't get a job, that they can't um, be a part of any 
agency or so like for oh, example no. chad chad wolf who uh um runs the department of homeland security uh he shouldn't he shouldn't have a job in government anymore ever because he served for president trump right um so that's what she is talking about and then alexandria ocasio-cortez came out she was like rather flippantly saying like i hope people are archiving all these uh you know trump supporters uh so we know who they are oh wow (laughs) um and then you know a couple other people who are prominent kind of you know retweeted that or encouraged that um a couple and you know uh three or four of them are you know work for news organizations like that reza aslan guy who just went on tv and ate brain once he had a human's brain once on television that's who that is what is Um, this now no he did he had a show where he went off and he had a show where he went off and he explored various cultures and on one of these episodes he engaged in cannibalism and ate part of a human brain who and where on on cnn reza aslan Jeez, interesting. It's real. Yeah, he's obviously deranged. Um, so, uh, and he was when he was like, "We need to figure out all these people are and make sure they never get, you know, any kind of, they don't get lives anymore." Basically. Um, so if um you know if that keeps going on and you start to see like, again the doxing of like Trump. Trump uh, fundraisers or this kind of like organizational attempt to like, you know, out people who like funded the campaign or something along those lines. Uh, I could see I could see a couple members of the Senate getting really upset about that because those are their donors too, most likely. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So that's the only thing I think that'll happen though is like, uh, like most things, I think you know, uh, Google or Twitter or Facebook will have to just like just make a big mistake and then you know but i think the one lesson one of the lessons i hope uh the gop learned uh over the last couple years is that like you do need to address what's going on with uh uh with companies uh that that handle people's opinions you know um and because I'm of the, I'm a hard, I'm, I'm hardcore about it. I think I should be allowed to tell people on Twitter to go kill themselves. Like I don't think there's violence. Um, I think that all social networking needs is a mute block button, and everything else is fair game. Um, Apart from the screaming fire in the theater thingy, I guess. Or, um, well, that doesn't really happen it's- on. One example that you just mentioned to get really technical, it's kind of edgy because you encourage somebody, but you're not telling them to literally do it, or so to speak. But... Sure. I, I Basically, like, if it's illegal in the real world, probably shouldn't be illegal online. But um, I can walk up to somebody in a safe way and be like, go kill yourself, bro, and, like, walk away. Like, that's not a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and if I do that... Um, I don't even think I'm allowed to, I mean, maybe I'm allowed to be banned from a store for saying that, but I think that that's a stretch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so with that example, you know, it's one thing, but like, I, I think the old rules of the internet were perfect, you know, no doxing, no kids, no animals. And, uh, if you kind of stick with that, you're pretty good. Obviously some celebrities, uh, some people of influence might have a harder time with trolls, so give them an ability to block 
uh, in bulk, you know, which I think people mm-hmm. already do. They already have like you know lists that you can upload so that you know you can you can block people. So like you know, if uh, beyond that you're you're trying to control uh, either the narrative or a narrative or um, you're just trying to keep people like like Milo or Alex Jones off of Twitter. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, it's tough, man. Cause like tw- Twitter is a company, uh, and they're, you know, allowed to do, they're allowed to do things their own way. Um, but they are publicly traded and their, their product is literally like speech. <laughs> like they're the thing that they offer is a blank area for me to write text in and submit. Um, so I do think it's different than other online. Th- like I guys think that, you know, it's Facebook's the same way. Like, um, you know, if you were again, like, let's pretend Facebook existed in the eighties, um, you know, should they ban gay people off of Facebook in the eighties? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Cause that would have been a topic of conversation. Like if Facebook would have been in the eighties, you would have had the discussion of like, this picture has two guys kissing. Should this be on Facebook? And it would have been a legitimate conversation. Um, you know, politically, if you will, um, you know, culturally, most people would have been beyond it at that point. Um, but you know, politically, like you'd be like, is this appropriate? And, um, you know, most, I think most, if you had the internet in the eighties, and all things were equal. Uh, I think most people, most companies would have banned uh, images of gay affection and things like that. So, like, if you're against that, then you're you should be against um, Alex Jones being banned because he referenced some conspiracy theory, or uh, you know, the, the Owen Benjamin's banned because he made fun of a. A teenager who is an you put him you know who's a public figure with a check mark you know so it's not they're not it's not the same as like it's not the same like rights issue as like uh can a restaurant discriminate based on color you know what i mean like that's mm-hmm. you know, twitter's a different thing and it has to be analyzed differently and uh i think the gop learned a lesson this time i think when i think the next time there's some kind of like major issue where like Twitter dares to censor like a sitting Senator or, uh, which is outrageous. Like the fact that they're censoring the, the fact I don't care about warning markers on a, on a politician's tweet, but the fact that they're removing the text from, uh, the president's tweets is out is absolutely outrageous. Um, and I don't care who the president is. That's outrageous. Um, yeah, it's a little bit over the top. I can't believe that's not enough for a lot of people in in Congress to to really push some kind of change. Um, but they're all paid off for the most part, so we'll see. We'll see. They'll maybe they'll maybe they'll ban a far leftist for saying something crazy like you know burn all Trump supporters or something like that. Because that we're going to get to that point too, where it's like. Um, you know, being banned for saying Sandy Hook was a conspiracy theory is okay, but like calling for rounding up of of Trump officials to be 
shot. Nuremberg will be will be left. Yeah, right. Like Nuremberg trial. Like you're out of your mind. These people are out of their mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, reconciliation trials or something. Truth, yes, truth, yeah, yes. Yeah, like and, and that guy's a that guy's a that guy's Robert Wright, if I'm not mistaken, and he's a columnist for the New York Times on a, on his best days. Um, so uh, it, it's funny, like. I said it along. I, I was saying this in group chats, and uh, every once in a while, I would send in a super chat to like a YouTuber that I was watching, so they would have to read it. And I would literally just say, like, you know, if Trump loses, uh, they're going to come for you. Um, uh, you know, the Trumper. If Trump loses, Trump supporters are going to go to their state capitals and wave flags, and they're going to pray. They're going to chant USA. But they're not gonna they're not gonna attack anybody, you know. Um, they're not gonna cry. Yeah. Uh, but these these people cried, you know. And then literally, like, they were okay with with a three year long investigation. Like they were cool with it. And so they're not gonna like um you know they're not gonna uh, they're gonna come for you. And uh, you know now let's let's say let's get crazy. Like if the House and the de- and the Congress, if the House and the Senate and the presidency all went them. Uh, we would see something drastic, like uh, they would, uh, they would like something crazy, like uh, make a crime, like some kind of crime to be a Trump supporter, like a retroactive crime. Either you, uh, you, you are, you don't get, you lose your voting right of some kind, or um, they would come and try to. You have to pay a tax. They're going to make you pay an take, extra take tax. Take your kids, kids from you because you must be racist. And the kids, we can't let kids be raised by racism anymore. Um, we would see, we would see something wacky, and I don't mean it would do it. I mean like we would see a discussion of something wacky like that. Um, and I think, I think the fact that like the Dems got slaughtered, like Biden won, uh, quote unquote, with the most president presidential votes in history, um, which is amazing. Uh, I'm, you know, if let, let's pretend that they count all these votes and he did win by the most ever, right? All that shows is that people got really tired of Trump because the rest of the ballots, Dems got slaughtered. They did. Like they wasted hundreds of like a hundred something million dollars in North Carolina to beat Lindsey Graham, and they dumped another like eighty or something million dollars in Kentucky to beat uh, I forget the lady, I forget her name, but. And, you know, Mitch won by, like, 66% in Kentucky. Lindsey Graham won by, I don't know, maybe maybe 10 points or so. Um, and then they lost, like, a bunch of House seats. Uh, and they had a – I don't know if you guys know this, but they had a um, – you know, after the election, they have what's called a family call where all the Democrats – not all, but, you know, a good number of them – get on a conference call. Um, and, uh, you know – Nancy Pelosi got lit into. Uh, they had Democrats screaming at her about, you know, nobody should ever say defund the police again. Nobody should ever say socialism again. I like a lot of people almost lost their races that they should have no business almost losing. The projections for the DNCC uh, for 2020 are, are drastic. We had uh, there was a congresswoman in from Florida who I can think is a complete asshole. Um, she was crying on the phone. Uh, she lost and she was saying that like people can't pronounce her name you know like they're they're and then you of course you have uh people like uh rashida talib going like 
we have a, we have to address how we use language because defund the police might have not been the best way to explain what the motive. Was. So they're going to try to hide, uh, you know, defund the police and socialism under some other kind of word, you know. Uh, but they're 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 falling apart. They lost um, they lost state houses. They didn't pick up a state house. Um, and so what's going to happen in 2021 is uh, the state houses are going to start redistricting. And uh, to watch, you know, a number of a number of people have left the cities this year. Uh, you know, a lot of New Yorkers are probably not going to come back. A lot will, but a lot won't. Um, that's bad. That's like really bad for the Democrats to have 30 plus states of the union under, with their houses under complete GOP control. And they're going to start redrawing the voting maps. And it's going to last for 10 years when they do it, because that's the way it works. So they can celebrate all they want. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's a, uh, well, 10 years ago, uh, would have been, you're looking at 2020, uh, 2010. That was full up and down control. I thought, no, what I mean is that when we when redistricting occurs, that's on the state level. So the state house and senates are the ones that the state, the state congresses are the ones that redistrict. So what I say, they lost state houses like oh, I okay. where, I yeah, yeah. they lost. I think in New Hampshire, they lost. They flipped a couple like the GOP flipped a couple. So when Pennsylvania starts more importantly, actually, like New York, the state uh, starts to redraw their districts um, that will be under GOP control. Interesting. Now, New York will obviously be under Democrat control, but they are probably going to there's rumors that they're going to cut AOC's district out because they hate her so much, which I completely buy into i mean i have no idea i don't follow her local or state level response in any way uh i mean i obviously have looked a little bit into to her career she's just a, she's just a uh she's upsets the system does she i mean she when she primaried um i forget the guy's name now uh the guy that she knocked out he was number two in line for the house like the person, like okay, so she went against a city, a guy who sat. Uh, all right, we're gonna, I'm gonna look him up real quick because it's gonna bother me. But um, she basically went in a primary against um, uh, a sitting Democrat who was who's been there, who was there for a long, long time, and so he was second in line for like the House. Um, and so you gotta understand, like you know, and everything about the House and the Senate is about seniority, right? So, like, when she took out, like, the House's number two, uh, Joe Crowley is who she took out. When she took him out, um, yeah, he was the, he was the chair for a while, too. Um, yeah, he was in office since 1999, Mike. A little while. From 1999 to 2019, and she primaried him. Do you know how many people owe him favors who owe him just like their careers. Like it's an endless list, right? So like he's now, he sits high up in the actual uh, committee. He's like part of the DNC machine. He's not an elected official. So they're going to, I mean, you know, and, and if they do it, she'll just run for Senate and she'll win. You know what I mean? So like, cause she's like a superstar, but um, they might, they might redistrict her out. You know, it's very, very, uh, very likely. 
Um, we might see that Nebraska district, the way they, the way they handle their electoral votes, that might change to where Nebraska, Omaha can't just give one electoral vote away. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot, a lot of things will happen. And it'll just under, for 30 of the states, it'll be under Democrat um, control. Uh, sorry, uh, GOP control. Interesting. Um, yeah. That's a long arc. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, Mitch, Mitch McConnell planned the Supreme Court for years for like uh, ever since like uh, ever since Bork you know uh, Mitch McConnell was like okay it's on you know what I mean and then they he you know so his you know I mean like a lot of these guys play long games you know um, which is why I think a lot of uh, this upcoming court stuff like the American public's just not ready American public doesn't like long games Sure. It's, it's, yeah, an intention long game is hard. Yeah, yeah, we don't have it. They're already, by the time, by the time the uh, Supreme Court of the United States uh, tells the uh, state of Pennsylvania to audit their, their counts and that 20, the 20 electoral votes has to come off the map. And then they do the same thing in Nevada. What's that? Oh, sorry. No, they they have to do that state by state, right? Or it's is just it going to well, it's going to be where because I so, the Supreme Court can only rule over the U.S. Constitution, and then if there's anything wrong with the with with the counting, um, like what you had in 2000 in Florida, you have to go to the Supreme Court within that state. So in worst case scenario, you have to go to like a dozen or two dozen different states and a bunch of lawsuits, right? Not not all the time. So the Pennsylvania thing is so in this election we have uh, PA um, and Nevada. They're the big ones. There's obviously some Michigan and Wisconsin stuff going on, but for easy conversation, we'll just take we'll take Nevada and Pennsylvania. Um, so the court system in the United States uh, is a big triangle, you know, and it all leads up to the Supreme Court. And every state has their own Supreme Court, obviously. Now, the nine justices of the United States Supreme Court, um, I don't know the appropriate term for what each one does, but each one has responsibility over a group of state courts. Okay, so, for example, Pennsylvania, the state court of Pennsylvania um, and also New Jersey, Delaware, and I want to say the Virgin Islands and maybe Maryland. I don't know, but. In that area of the country, um, those courts, uh, those four or five uh, state courts, fall under the responsibility or oversight of Judge Alito. He is responsible for them. So Pennsylvania is different because what happened in Pennsylvania is they have a law, and it's on the books, and it hasn't been changed. And it says that uh, you can't count votes after 8 8 p.m. It's just very simple. Uh, Election day comes. All the votes that were in before 8 p.m., they are counted. Anything after 8 is not counted. Uh, and so what the legislator uh, – what the Secretary of State did in Pennsylvania and what the – no. So – okay, so the Secretary of State decided to change that law, okay, uh, which she can't do. That's a legislative activity. And when she did that because of COVID, she extended, and it might have fell under a, 
a judge's executive order, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the governor's executive order. But basically, the Secretary of State uh, pushed uh, the date to where uh, how long the votes could be counted for past 8 p.m. on Election Day, which is in conflict with Pennsylvania law. Uh, now, the the GOP took that, the Pennsylvania you know, GOP people took that to their Supreme Court and their Supreme Court, I think, told them to go get bent. And so what happened was, is um, Alito was like, sorry, guys. Uh... Hey, where'd you go? Do we lose you? Oh, you're still showing up, but you're not coming through the mic. Hey, uh, Brian, you want to reload your connection? Because you don't seem to be coming through right now. Just a second here. Hey, Brian. Can I get a check from you? Can you hear us? You might want to reload. Can I get a check from anybody else, though, real quick? Either of the two Tims. We'll be reloading this in just a second here. going on for example if you're in california and you make a lot of money you probably buy a condo in nevada and you use that as an address to save yourself those california taxes um and so what happened in a lot of like this used to be the way like car insurance used to be really easy to game like back in like the like the 90s like before it then got like real computerized um you could like you could like register your car to your place of work if you worked in a state that had like cheaper insurance, and then you would just like register your car in that state and then like get around paying mad insurance or like different registration uh, rules, things like that. Right. Um, so, kind of like that in Nevada, um, the the people like so if you have a condo in Nevada, you're not a primary resident. Your primary residence in California. Um, I don't know how the taxation. Thing works like i don't know how having a condo in california in nevada saves you from taxes but uh those people apparently voting in nevada is against the law um rumor has it that that's been going on for quite some time where uh the old uh the the old uh, sacred cow in nevada for the democratic party is harry reed um who we could He's he's the reason why we're at this mess right now. If you think about it, if you if you know the history, but Harry Reid Nevada was a senator, and his whole machine apparently uh, involved a lot of these California uh, second second homeowners. Things like that. And it's not something I can prove. It's just like a rumor that's been going around in political circles for a while. But uh, apparently, the Trump campaign has a, you know a couple thousand that they have informed. Uh, I think the Nevada State Court about. And you can be certain that if they found 3000 and that's the number they, they informed the court about there's, they they didn't stop counting. You know what I mean? So, uh, 
Yeah. So th- that's the thing where the lawsuit will come up through finding some kind of fraud. Um, same thing in Michigan. There's some kind of there's some kind of like glitch in a computer system that if it's not a glitch, it looks to be like a, a real thing. That, it doesn't matter. But up there, uh, Nevada and Michigan will be lawsuits that make their way through the states. But Pennsylvania is very, very different. Uh, Pennsylvania is that they're the Democrats that control that state made a couple of very very bad decisions and the Supreme court just slapped them on the wrist. And, uh, I think next week we'll see those 20 electoral votes come off the table. Do you think uh, that they're not going to be a part state? Not Pennsylvania. Of Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Pennsylvania. Do you, right. do you think that when you say they're going to come right. off the table? Yeah. Thanks for uh, adding all the context there. Yeah. And if you that want to definitely summarize it nicely, uh, if you're correct and all that, of course, which I can't really judge by just listening to you, but thank you for explaining. It uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear something kind of funny, uh, I'll do it real quick um, because you're not, you know, you're not from the country or whatever. Um, Harry Reid, the guy in Nevada, um, he, uh, do, you, uh, do you remember when Obama picked uh, a Supreme Court judge on his way out the door and the Senate wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, Fake you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't put him on the court? Uh, so it used to be in the Senate that in order for you to turn down, um, a judge used to have this, you know, a super majority, which is just like, it's like a majority plus a number of seats. doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so a long, a while ago, um, uh, Obama was in office and he was getting his federal judges caught up, um, and so caught up meaning like he wasn't getting them approved and things like this. So Harry Reid then uh, he did what was called the nuclear option, which is basically remove supermajority uh, from uh, all the uh, uh, all the all the judges that had to be confirmed um, with the exception of the Supreme Court. And uh, Mitch McConnell warned him not to do this, that it was um, short sighted. And that one day the roles would be reversed and um, Mitch McConnell would have to do the same thing, but to a uh, Supreme Court seat. I forget what year this was, but, um, you know, so Harry Reid does that. And he did that, you know, for like a short, a short gain. He wanted uh, federal judges, just like, you know, a bunch of judges to go and sit that we've never heard of. You know, whoever they go and sit on the circuit court and they sit there for their life. Um you know, so then what happens is, is that the tables are turned uh, uh, when Obama gets Barrett Garland, Mitch McConnell, you know, you know, takes away this, uh, the supermajority. I might be getting that slightly wrong, but uh, I'm not going to waste everyone's time looking it up. But basically, um, McConnell's prediction came true. Uh, they didn't seat that judge. And then smart. This is why, like, you know, the, the story of McConnell kind of like realizing um, but after Bork and, and Clarence Thomas, that that the left was starting to really put these these you know tests on the judges uh, when they went to that they, you, know, you really shouldn't you know kind of do these things, but they started really and they were rifling through their personal lives. Um, Mitch McConnell seeing that back in like the in the eighties nineties and kind of waiting for the moment to to exercise his power and deny Obama his judge, um, which everyone can complain about. But the fact is, is the Senate had the majority. So even if they heard the judge, the Senate could vote no, you know, so it was a waste of time and money to seat that judge in the eyes of 
the Senate at that time. And then, you know, it was a big gamble, too, because you never would have guessed that Trump would have won that election um, coming up. You know, he was he was throwing the dice and then Trump gets in and Trump, lo and behold, gets three. Um, and the next president, if it's Trump, he'll get two more. Because if Trump actually pulls this off and wins, Clarence Thomas will resign and Stephen Breyer uh, will resign. Stephen Breyer and Kennedy uh, flipped a coin uh, to see who could resign a couple years ago. And that's when uh, that's when Trump got his 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 second judge, I guess. But um, uh, if if Biden wins, Clarence, uh, Joe Biden is the guy who tried to destroy Clarence Thomas uh, because this is like an awesome like like if you look at history as like a big story, like this is a pretty awesome way to play it out, because if 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 Biden wins, uh, Thomas is on the court and the president is the person who was the chairman during his confirmation and allowed, um, you know, what Thomas believes to be unfounded accusations and like tried to ruin his life and his reputation. Right. You know, Thomas called it a high tech lynching. That's how he felt about it. And then the vice president is Kamala Harris, who basically sat there and tried to get Brett. I mean, they all tried to get Brett Kavanaugh destroyed, but uh, her, her, uh, uh, her exchanges with uh, Kavanaugh were especially hostile if you will so you know by don't by don't get one if he's lucky and briar briar might resign just to give biden the the chance to put someone you know young right. on the court if you will but it's an amazing like if you think about that like if you go watch if you watch like you know clarence thomas's documentary um which is really good it's a really good movie i feel what it's called but it's like it's basically the only clarence thomas documentary that exists <laughs> um, it kind of goes it kind of goes through his life and, and it's very and like you know like like biden was nice to him but like man like in a very snide way when you watch when you watch the the, the going back and forth now um, can it's, we it's, it's, can we yeah. roll back a little bit to uh what you were talking about before in terms of the 20 electoral votes for pennsylvania so uh sure it when you say they're going to get wiped off the board, it just means that they go back into contest, right? I mean, so, take, uh, yeah, no, right. They've taken off, taken off the table from Biden. Sorry. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think they're going to eliminate. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in the background, generally. In no, any, I don't. Any country. I don't... Um, no, but no, it's good to chat this context because I want to say that, you know, these are the things generally don't see discussed on TV, for example, or on Twitter. Or anywhere else, and if people discuss it, it's just you know yelling at each right, other pretty right. quickly. So. And it's such an incredibly nice nuanced to just have a civil conversation. conversation about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and the American court system is weird compared to like a lot of the other like a lot of the other world's court systems. You know, like um. Yeah, here it works top down. Where for you it works the other way around. Yes. Um, and like. Uh, so yeah, so with, with Pennsylvania, um, I don't know what it will look like. Cause I don't remember, I mean, I remember Florida, um, I was, I don't want to give my age or anything, but I was, you know, exiting high school around that time. And, um, I don't remember what the TVs, like the TV maps, I don't remember if they like changed the color of Florida back to white or back to brown instead of red or blue, instead of blue, rather. Um, but I do remember it was no problem 
for them <laughs> to uh, to uh, chill uh, for even George Bush at the time. Like it was just like it was it was um, it's very strange how different the the pundits did about it then as they do now. Um, there's like they just didn't. It has like, evolved, I think Time right? Magazine uh, devolved. Sure. Um, <laughs> Time Magazine had printed a cover. There were a couple of newspapers, I think, that printed some covers. But um, so what my point is that, like, if come Monday or Tuesday, there's an, another order that says, like, uh, you will audit, you know, this this election, or you will, you know, do whatever. The, you know, the Supreme Court says this or that. Um. I would expect, you know, the, the nations, uh, the the news organizations to, to change the color of that state while they audit it. But I don't think they will. Um, I think they'll just pretend that it's like a stupid, frivolous lawsuit. I think the the game of the media will be like, this is all stupid. You know, until until, you know, they're, until like the state is ordered to like. Certify it by by the Supreme Court or something. I don't know how that's going to work because in in Florida, the Supreme Court didn't decide the winner, if I'm not mistaken. They just told Florida to just stop counting. They're like, you guys are yeah. And uh, then it went to Bush. Um, and I remember, you know, being a, a young liberal, of course, um, you know, Bush Bush stole the election and Bush was Hitler. And and uh, Bush was stupid. And Bush was, uh, you know, a dumb, a dumb monkey. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a stupid hick, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and then I, me I remember, he remember when, uh, I remember when a lot of people were like, yeah, well, uh, you know, a good part, a good number of Republicans say they would, they could have a beer with George Bush. And I'm like, how do you, what kind of metric president? is that? <laughs> yeah. But now I get it. You know, as I'm older now, I, to I totally understand that mindset where it's like, you know, if you understand the system that you're in, you know, we're in federal system. The president is kind of, that is actually kind of an appropriate metric for the president. You know, um, is that somebody you're comfortable having a beer with? Is that someone you're comfortable sending overseas to talk to another world leader? Now, for, now, obviously for a lot of people, Donald Trump is not that person, but, um, no, but they might think that he's good, you know, as a businessman and making exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, then, even like, though that's probably more image than truth, to be honest. But. And what's funny is that, like, a lot, of the, a lot of the narrative for Trump's four years was that other foreign leaders hate him. And that's just false. Um, there were numerous, like, you know, Macron loves Trump. It, Trump pulled out of the Paris Accord. It's like the second thing he did. And, and Emmanuel Macron loves Trump. Like... And you can go find pictures and video of them, like, being very, very cordial with each other, like, not even only in press conferences, just, like, you know, video that's, like, shot where, like, they don't know they're being videotaped at, like, a meeting or something, you know. Um, the only people, like, you know, Trudeau, Trudeau doesn't like him, obviously. I think Merkel doesn't like him. Um, obviously, like, you know, obviously whatever goes on in Brussels, they don't like him very much. But I think, you know, um, Boris Johnson liked him up until – he was declared a loser. Um, and then obviously like the Saudis got along, um, you know, India uh, up until uh, up until the, the coronavirus thing, you know, he was his, his relationship with uh, Z uh, was very interesting because they seemed to like each other, 
but also do tough business with each other. And that was, I thought that was very interesting that like they both complimented each other, but like also talked a little shit. Um, I would have loved it. And I don't want to talk about it. Like it's over, but one of the things I would have liked to have seen is I would have liked to have seen Trump get to play out the game with, uh, you know, China's president, because I think their relationship is super interesting. Um, the guy from Japan who had to step down loves him. I think, if Are I'm they? not mistaken, Australia. Yeah. And then, um, so is Australia's prime minister, like, super funny and based like Trump? Am I, do I have that wrong? Uh, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think so. Australia's prime minister? Yeah, I think they're pretty. I'm not sure, to be honest. I think they're pretty, I'm not like, sure. Um, there was. Labor uh, Party kind of. I don't know who was in control over there, but um, one of oh, I'm looking it up right now. Scott Morrison. Um, okay, he is the leader of the Austrian Liberal Party. I think this guy loves Trump. Okay. Um, he became. Um, is kind of let me just kind of get a prime minister of Australia. <laughs> Got there in 2019. Yeah, he's he's kind of like Australia first. If I'm, I, I really want to get this right though, because we're live on air. Um, yeah, sure, that's fair. But uh, condemned the mass shootings, extreme weapons. Yeah, he's like anti. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very much in the uh, in the uh, Nigel Farage style of Donald Trump support, I guess, is the best way right. okay. to explain him. Anti, anti-immigration. anti um, Populist. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, Australia has some, yeah, obviously, Australia has some amazing, like, crackdown footage for COVID that's been coming out. For sure. Um, so I don't know how much he's involved in that, but, because, you know, I don't know how Australia works, you know, governance-wise, but, um well, I do know somebody who lives in uh, Melbourne, and I believe um, I haven't spoken to him in a few weeks now. But um, like they've been locked in their houses since March. Yes. Uh, one person from their household is allowed to go to one store per day. Wow. Um, like it's it's super strict the way it's over there. So it's super authoritarian. So it's not just the footage that you see coming out of there. It's also uh, I do think it's just the area around Melbourne that's so extreme. I do so, think uh, other areas are a bit looser, if I'm correct. Yeah, like, I would love to, and, you know, Mike, we obviously have a bunch of Aussie friends we can go talk to. Um, but I'm kind of curious as, like, how much the prime minister is involved in that, because he seems like the kind of person who's, like, anti that. You know what I mean? Um, just based on his general other politics, he would be the kind of person who wanted to open it up. But I don't know if they have, like, uh, you know, they obviously have provinces of some kind in Australia where... You know, there's a governor of some kind controlling it, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, but that was another thing. I think like, uh, I, I kind of hope history is kind to the Trump term, you know what I mean? Cause like, I think he did really well with foreign leaders. I think if you didn't like him, it's cause he made you like pay up or he took, or, or like he, he stopped you from going and killing a bunch of innocent people in the middle East somewhere. And that's why you don't like him, you know? And, uh, you know, uh, or he, or he pulled out of your coalition and, you don't get his like two billion dollars a year anymore, or whatever. You know, there's think, a lot of bureaucracy that was dismantled. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, and also I think, like you know, uh, <laughs> like one of the first things Biden's going to do apparently is uh, reinstate the uh, critical race theory stuff. So, like to me, like that just says that we're going to get a lot of immature virtue signaling from President Biden for as long as he's there. Like it's just like these people are happy they got a dog. Like, there's people that are happy there's a dog going back in the White House. It's like, you got to give me a break. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, his his first move will be to tell governments they can start teaching white people that they're they're horrible because they they were born a certain way. It's just crazy to me. So, and that was actually my biggest uh, reason for supporting Trump. Like, uh, aside from all the lols and just being like a general like shit poster, um, the, 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 one of the, one of the most important things was like, he was anti-war. Yeah. Um, and he, he was like the living embodiment of being anti-critical race theory. And, uh, I think that, that's an, I think, I think critical race theory is a terrible, terrible thing. I'm kind of surprised it ever became that mainstream, to be honest. I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people who laughed it off when it was just uh, a university navel-gazing class. Uh, But the thing is, is that, like, it it seeped into um, the lowest form of journalism first. You know, it went into video game journalism. And then... uh, those people got hired into the video game industry and then it went from there to to how to you know tv shows and how like but not tv shows like lower level tv shows like on the cw and like well you don't know what that is but um on the you know the on the third tier networks that nobody really watches they started to push this stuff right. and then it, and then it creeped onto your kids shit like it went on to nickelodeon and like the disney kids networks and uh now it's in movies and TV shows and it's in, it's in enterprise business, human resources, training manuals, and it's in government workshops. But, uh, what do you think about, um, uh, like we, you, you were talking about, uh, the cat ladies or so to speak earlier, the cat moms about, you know, how, um, uh, a lot of this stuff is just the focal minority. Like, if uh, I well, let me put it this way if I talk to you guys or anybody else or anybody I meet, you know, in normal life and in meet space or, you know, online and actually sit down and have a talk with them, 99% of the people I talk to all agree about this crazy shit, you know, about yes. or so yes. to speak. Yes. Like, in the end, everybody wants a roof over their head, they want. I don't know, kids, and they want their kids to be happy and to go to school and have a nice life, and they want to go on a holiday every now and then. You know, that's basically something we can all agree on, I guess. Yeah, um, most most people want something simple where they can just carve out some happiness, right, for them right. and theirs. Um, so, however, so there's when, a... So okay. when we talk about this stuff, um, I think it's mostly the focal minority, and I doubt if you can really push this on the majority on the silent majority or so to speak 
and this is going to be a really interesting test for societies to see if they have like a self-cleaning oven type of mechanism um, where it's like with the Bitcoin network. If you attack it, then you either find a crack, like a, like a soft spot, you that's going to be improved, which strengthens the network. And, you know, the same could be said about society, that if you throw an attack at it, that it learns from it and it improves because of it. Um, and I'm kind of curious 100%. if that's going to happen here because, you know, generally things have to get worse first before they get better. So. Yeah, so, like, you know, if we talk, like, yeah, uh, most of the people I talk to pretty much think that, like, if we start talking about... Um, you know, if I talk about QAnon, they think that's crazy. And if I talk about critical race theory stuff, they think that's crazy. And um, <laughs> however, though, the thing that and, and, you know, again, we, like you said, like most people just kind of want to get by, you know what I mean? Um, but what happens is when the vocal minority, the you know, the 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 ones that are on that critical race theory thing. Uh, they teach, how do I say this? If it's the way, like the critical race theory stuff kind of teaches you at first that you are guilty of something and then kind of goes from there. And if you have a large part of the population that just wants to get by, um, they're going to like, you know, shuffle into the training seminar, sit down and, you know, listen because they don't want to get fired you know what i mean and so they're going to listen and then it's just the way that i i think that the nature of critical race theory allows it to move outside that vocal minority pretty easily because it it just, it's all, everything about it is focused on surface level stuff. It's about how you look. And um, so when, when, like when we talk about, for example, like slavery, and they talk about how, you know, America will never, you know, reconcile, you know, it, its sin of slavery. Um, most, most people, in America are kind of like, yes, that was bad. Right. And then when the critical race theory kind of like takes, they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, everyone thinks it's bad. So, um, here are all the problems that are at fault. Here are the problems that exist now because of that. And a lot of people, you know, not as many, but a lot of people will still be like, yeah, I can see how that, that works. And then they kind of like, is it just like, it just kind of like, whittles away at you and then you're like and you're to blame for that too because you have privilege and then a lot of people because i think i think it kind of preys on your ability on, on people that want to help right so if you're a good person and you hear this kind of like academic lecture that whittles at your at your idea of self and then all of a sudden it's like and because you haven't felt this way or you haven't been you haven't you don't have this experience you're to blame for it i think a lot of people are like wow i, I can't believe i'm to blame for that how can i help and then it's here's how you vote you know <laughs> here's where we're here's where we're meeting on the corner you know cuz like i got friends that 
absolutely buy into the I I it's it makes me it makes my skin like I get like a physical response when I hear it when I hear like one of my friends go like oh that's just my white privilege talking because I'm like no that's just you talking <laughs> you know but yeah. they've been they've been berated and it's not just like at work it's on Instagram and Facebook uh not so much Twitter because I think uh I think it's a little harder to do that on Twitter than it is on Instagram because on Instagram you know, uh, you just you just drop one of those square quotes, and you know, quotes are powerful. Um, slogans are powerful. So, like, you know, I, I could probably open up Instagram right now and pull one, but like, just stuff like um, "struggle never ends" or like the people struggle never. You know, just like these like these like kind of slogans that you see on like when you're just like you know at home and like you're petting your dog. And like you on Instagram and you like, you know, like a picture of your friend's kids. And then the next one is like, never forget that that white privilege is something that can never be unlearned. You're like, yeah, it can never be unlearned. You double you double tap it and you like it. You move on like and that. That's a thought now that's in your head. You know, that's mm. inception. You know, so I think and it, on the flip side, you know, because like the right has their crazy the crazy stuff too you know you get like you know crazy and cap libertarians you get the q people you get you know um the thing about q and this is why like you know but like people are like oh my god q is dangerous i'm like no q just like if you don't agree with what you see you just leave and you don't look at it anymore right the q people aren't going to hit you up on instagram and be like you're a traitor if you don't believe, you know, QAnon's latest post, you're not a real American. It's just like there's Q if you want to go read the post and there's a community of people that talk about it if you want to go join that. The left pushes and um, they always have. That's like what they do. The left really pushes that culture, pushes that up into the culture and the right tends to react and push back, you know. Like the abortion, the abortion fight is a pretty pretty good example of that where the leftists constantly kind of increase um, either uh, either like you know uh, you know uh, various laws or funding or uh, just increase you know the ability to go have an abortion regardless of what you think of it and the right is always kind of trying to bat that down the right doesn't really come up with ideas that they push into the culture as much as the left does. And then of course the left, they're all, and this is like not a criticism. It's just how it is. Like they're very, like they live by their music, TV and movies. And so like, uh, they have that arsenal of like imagery and, you know, like I know a lot of people who are liberal because they watch the wire, like literally like their worldview about, crime and i mean this is like a 10 year old 12 year old tv show i don't know how old it is but it's a um i got friends of mine that like still look at the world through like this incredibly it was a good tv show but um it's all about race relations and you know crime and police and and they think that they have this amazing understanding about that those subjects because of this show um and the right doesn't really have that. Like the right doesn't have like, 
You know, people don't understand the Constitution because they watch this amazing, you know, Christopher Nolan movie. Like, it just doesn't <laughs> exist, you know. You know, it's, it's, um, they just act differently. So to go back to your point, though, I think while most people, if you get them one-on-one over lunch, a lot of people agree on a lot of things, like probably with most things. Um, but that, but that, the critical race theory, the intersectionality stuff, uh, that's being pushed onto the culture, unlike anything I've seen. It's almost like it's almost like uh, they should have to start paying for advertising or something. It's it's pretty outrageous. Well, you know, it's, tomorrow's a big fine. day for everybody. We're gonna finally yeah, interesting times see mm-hmm. what uh, you know turns up. Yeah, to get back to my point I was making at the beginning uh, of the show. Um, I just hope it doesn't, you know, divide people further. But the points you're pointing out, I'm also seeing that, you know, that generally people just get divided further, which is kind of sad because I do believe that most people are looking for the same things in their lives and in the world. Um, and of course, there are things we disagree on. It's just really sad that it has to, in the end, it always becomes like two camps to if we could, if we, just... if we could find some way to eliminate the embarrassment of being wrong, uh, the world goes a long way. But that, but that's a personal thing that yeah. doesn't happen until people take responsibility, and that's what people don't want, and that's why people elect other people who can't really solve the things that they're hoping to have solved. But that way, you can blame the person that you elected and who's supposed to represent you um, because it's their job. You know, it's their fault, or if it's your guy, then it's not his fault. It's the other guy's or woman's fault. Uh, yeah, and I, and I fall victim. I, I give Trump a lot of leeway, you know, um, and it's because I like the show. Um, and the excuse I often I find myself giving for him, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, is that like, well, he doesn't really belong there. Right. Like historically speaking, he's not a politician. And so it's kind of like your uncle Dave. Maybe your uncle Dave runs a great business, but like, you know, it's kind of like a normal. I know he's not a normal dude because he's like super rich, but like, um, I-, I don't see a Trump presidency and an Elon Musk presidency all being all that different in terms of like the weird stuff they decide to do, you know? Um, but I give him a lot of leeway because of that. And, and and that's like a bias that I have. And that's like baked in. And I don't know how I stop that. So I don't even like when I have a friend who's like, I'm not voting for Trump simply because of I don't like the way he looks. I'm like, or acts. I'm like, okay, that's perfectly reasonable. You know, um, once you start getting into like, here's why you shouldn't like Trump. Then you start getting into like, yeah, that proves somebody right or wrong. And people just hate being wrong. It's like being naked. Like, and, uh, and if, uh, you know, if a lot of my friends could like, you know, if a lot of people could just be wrong without feeling shame, I think we make a lot of progress just like in, in, I mean, everywhere in math, science, (laughs) you know, all, all industries. Well, exactly. uh, Right. Like a lot of places are, um, being wrong isn't always the worst thing, right? You can, discover what you were wrong on. We loop on that in a sense and uh, grow from that. Fastest way to learn. 
the healthiest the healthiest uh, work environment is one where like you're you don't feel like you're you're on a chopping block if you ask questions about what's going on. Exactly. Um, but I've been in many work environments where it's like you can and it's not said to you. It's nothing. It's nothing that's like spoken. It's just like a feeling that you get, and it's like you don't want to be the one who's asking questions because that means you don't know as much, and that means you might get fired. And that's why sometimes on Twitter I just try to throw controversial things out there where I know I'm partially partially wrong, but I'm still curious about another point of view or something. So I'm just looking for more points of view, more sources. And then I'll just throw something out there which might sound ridiculous or even at like a clown face or something just to see what comes back. Because I know that I don't have all the information. So um, Plus it's that a lot imagine- easier to uh to get attention or so to speak it's not really attention i'm looking for because i'm what i call reverse web of trust i'm trying to do it in a way so that the people who can read between the lines see what i mean and that everybody else ignores it instead of just you know ranting at me and spamming my notifications Um, so i'm not looking for attention or likes or retweets or whatever i'm just looking for new insights and I'm not saying I'm really good at this or something at being wrong, but I do only thing I'm trying to point out is that I do try to be wrong and especially in public, like on Twitter, um, because if I'm wrong, then I'm probably going to learn something new. And as soon as you simply accept for yourself that it's okay to be wrong because everybody is, it becomes a lot easier and you start to learn a lot more or at least that's how it works for me 100 i've noticed that uh i can ask a question just to twitter itself like as a tweet much easier than i can ask what's going on in a like group chat like i can i can shout it to the wind no problem like what's the best way to do this and just tweet send tweet but if i'm in like a group chat and i don't understand what's going on i'm i'm like a thousand percent more more hesitant to be like, uh, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you get over that. <laughs> yeah. I see a point because it feels less. Um, how do you say it? Uh, well, it's just like throwing a, it's less a personal. Pen, a, it's not a group of people, you know, but the whole world. Sits yeah. One's like, I'm putting a note up on a bulletin board. Another one's like, you know, we're sitting around a, like a campfire and right. Like you've been talking for five minutes, and all of a sudden, one kid goes like, "What are you guys talking about?" Over here? Yeah, and everybody's <laughs> looking at you funny. <laughs> what are you? What are you, an idiot? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of safer, more anonymous to do it from behind a computer screen. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I am going to at least end the broadcast the here. Really learn something. That's all right. Social media, mm-hmm. um, because if you just try to have intelligence, uh, intelligent conversations. Unless you're like super intelligent and you have something really interesting to add, uh, which I generally don't. Um, you know, it's I'm I'm not good at writing beautiful threads, etc. Because mm. my my English, you know. All right, so uh, this is the end of the broadcast. I'm going to say goodbye. Um, so that we can my grammar. Check out. I don't know if you're hearing me. Struck, you know, really beautiful sentences like over there. Such. So, but. Uh, this if, has been 